welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Brilliant. Just because I come from Africa, it doesn't mean to say I perspire. But um, it's really good to be here this morning with you and uh, just loving what God is doing amongst you. And just want to say thank you. And uh, yeah, I, I'm loving what you've done to your building. The new reception kind of area, I don't know how you call it, but the coffee bar is looking brilliant, especially the sign above the coffee bar that says Origin Coffee Bar. Um, I helped do that. Okay, so just, I want you to have a look at it today when you go back there. And, uh, you know, all I did was put some silicone on and give it to Tony and he stuck it up. But anyway, um, you know what I was... I was thinking, you guys are a signpost for others. You know what a signpost does? A signpost tells people where to go. And there are people and there are churches and there are church leaders that are aimless, that don't understand, in a sense, what God is doing for the future. And what they need to do is come and have a look at what you're doing, because what you're doing is a signpost for others to follow. You are symbolic of things to come. And I want to encourage you to keep giving, keep volunteering, keep serving, keep encouraging your leaders to keep on keeping on because there are others that need to find what God is doing and they're going to find it through you. And uh, I want to encourage every one of you. Don't just think, oh, Tony, what are you doing and why is there such attention to detail? It's because the sign needs to be clear and it needs to show the way and you guys are symbolic of things to come. I really do believe that God is going to be sending leaders, church leaders, that will come and have a look and see it clear and play. You see, sometimes we don't know, well, let me say, we don't know what we don't know. Okay, that's not a very profound statement, but it is profound, is that we don't know what we don't know. And we don't know what we don't know because we don't know what we don't know. And if we knew what we didn't know, then we would know what we didn't know, and then we would know what we know. All right. I've confused you, but all I wanted to say is we don't know what we need to know until we see it. And you, you guys are really blessed with great leadership. Leadership that can hear and see what God is doing and interpret that into an example. And this church is an example. It's a signpost. It's symbolic of things to come. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. And can I ask you, church, take ownership of that area. Take ownership of it. Understand, not like you would do it in your home. Take ownership of how the church leadership would like this to be. And uh, so look after it. Um, Protect it. Make sure your kids don't destroy it. I know what it's like in terms of that. You know, we've just done a new cafe and a building and, and, and we see things. And sometimes church you know, kids are just kind of got the run of the mill and can just do things. And we've got to stop that. We've got to look at it from the point of view of those who are far from God, who are coming in. And, and we've got to make 
we, we've got to look after things in a way that's not just for us, but in a way that would represent God. Can I ask you to do that? Wonderful, wonderful, all right. And then I do just want to say thank you for releasing Tony and Kath and Benno to come across six weeks ago. We had a, a conference at Urban Life. It was our first, and uh, it was for us a great blessing, a great building moment. Uh, it was a real privilege. We put aside a whole day for Tony, Kath, and Benno to input to our leaders. And we're still talking about it. We're still trying to assimilate all the stuff that was given. And you guys have, in sending them, have planted seeds and of helping us in our journey. And I want to say thank you. We really appreciate it. Amen. Wonderful. Thanks very much. I, I want to just minister briefly this morning in encouraging you to looking up for more than before. I'm going blind in my right eye. How do I know that? Well, I can't see so great out of my right eye. In fact, I've lost about 40% of my eyesight in my right eye. If I close my left, you're pretty fuzzy and, uh, and just a, a haze of color. And the reality is, is that uh, going to the ophthalmologist, the, the eye specialist has confirmed that I have a cataract in my right eye. It's nothing that I haven't known because I had a cataract in my left eye. And I think I told you the story of it getting taken out. Some time back did I tell you that story. And so I was kind of anticipating it. And as my right eye began to lose eyesight, I realized that a cataract was forming in my right eye. And went along to the ophthalmologist and he said, yes, Craig, it's, you're going blind in the right eye. And if I don't have it attended to, I will go blind. And what it is really, it's the lens inside my eye is going hard and going opaque. It's going sort of white, milky, and you can't see anymore. But I don't know if you realize that there's another kind of blindness that can take place, and that's the blindness of the heart. Yeah. And I, you know, God does things for me. He puts me into natural circumstances, like a parable in life. He, and uh, I, I kind of he, he have to learn that God wants to teach me something spiritual. He, he's trying to do something which is unseen, and he uses the seen or the natural to do something in the supernatural. And kind of as I was asking God, well, what does this all mean? It was like he, he began to, under, to, to show me that it, it's a blindness of a different kind that he was trying to help me with. When Paul was writing a letter, the apostle Paul, he wrote a letter to a city, a church in a city called Ephesus. And into this letter, he was describing a group of people. And uh, in that, he, he describes it as this in Ephesians 4.18. And he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from God because of their ignorance that was in them due to the blindness in their heart. Did you know that you could go blind in your heart? You know, I think sometimes, even that song, you know that song that says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Uh, sometimes we have our eyes open, but there is a blindness in the heart. Paul goes on to say that there's a callousness. Um, that word callous means without feeling. I don't know if you watch Master Chef or if you've seen a chef operate. They can pick up the most, you know, the, I don't know how they do it. They pick up those hot pots. 
Have you seen them? Just with their hands, and it's like they, they, they've got gloves on, but they haven't. And the thing is, is that a, a, a good chef or a chef that is in business has got calluses on his fingers because he's without feeling there. And there's this, without feeling, this callousness, this blindness that creeps into our hearts. And I, I was really being coming under the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I really don't like it when that happens because I kind of want to fight it. And uh, I just want to go and get some other lens. What I, I didn't really like this fact that I'm going blind in my right. I just, just give me a bit thicker lens. You know, if I can just have a bit of a thicker lens, I don't mind. I don't want to have to go through all the pain of them slitting my eye open, putting in a syringe, sucking out my lens. Um, but you see, the realized the fact is, is that blindness of heart needs a supernatural surgical procedure by the Spirit of God. And as I was uh, kind of learning about this, uh, I felt God speak to me out of two passages of Scripture. And I, I just want to share that this morning and see how we can kind of learn some things. Because you see, when we start to go blind in our heart, what happens is, just like an eye... Um, your perception goes. So my depth perception is gone. Uh, my focus goes. Attention to detail goes. Uh, you know, the other day, um, we were stuck in a car park and had to pay for our parking, but we didn't have any money. And so I had to run upstairs quickly to the order teller to go and get some money. And so I put the card in and, uh, you know, I kind of know my way around normal my bank's auto teller, but because there was such a long queue, I had to go to another bank's auto teller, which I didn't kind of know. And uh, I just said, let me draw a hundred bucks. And I pushed a hundred bucks and, uh, and the money started coming out. And it was a thousand bucks. And I was kind of like, whoa, I hit the jackpot. I asked for a hundred. I got a thousand. Whoa. And then I looked at the slip through my left eye and realized I pushed the wrong button. What I thought was a hundred was actually a thousand. You see, you lose the attention to detail. And in the same way, when we go blind in our hearts, we lose attention to detail. We, we lose the feeling in our heart. You see, when the Bible talks about a heart, it talks about the very seat of our appetites. It talks about our desires and the things we feel, uh, the emotions, which is truly and really what is communicating with you this morning. Even though my mouth is speaking, it's a heart that I'm sharing. And you are hearing, even though it goes through your ear, you're hearing with your heart. You're hearing with your feelings and your desires and your emotions. And when we get callous in our heart, what happens is we lose the feeling. We lose the emotions. And we become almost dead-like. I was wondering about a church that had 2020 vision in their heart. What would a church be like if everyone had 2020 heart vision? I was kind of I was thinking, you know, it would be a church that would feel like God feels, for God so loved. It would be a church that loves like God loves. It would be a church that would see what God sees. It would be a church that would have the passion and emotion because God is a jealous God. There would be this incredible passion and love. There would be, I actually thought it would be a church like Victory. I think Victory is that church. Yeah, I thought you would at least agree with me. I think Victory Church is like that. 
All right, okay. I mean, um, maybe, Tony, I, I don't know. They obviously don't think much of themselves here. I think you're a great church. I believe that you have heart vision. I can see it. We can experience it. But I believe there's more than before. You guys are going through rebels, riots, riots, rebels. Which one is it? Rebels, riots, and revolutionaries. I've been listening to some of the podcasts. I've been really encouraged and strengthened. And uh, I, I believe there's coming great impact from this series that you're currently in. And in Acts chapter 4, you were in there a couple of weeks back. If you would remember that story of James and John, they go down to pray and they find a crippled man and they, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give to you. And this guy comes jumping and praising God and there's this revival that breaks out. But of course, what happens is it, it gets the attention of the authorities, the religious authorities of the day, the same authorities that put Jesus to death. And they arrest him, call him in front of this council and tell them never to speak about Jesus again. And these men who, are, who just a few weeks beforehand had scattered when Jesus was arrested, they have got such boldness. They've been baptized by the fire of God. The Holy Spirit has come upon them and they are so bold that they don't care. Now, I don't know if this is a good thing in Australia or not, but you'll have to help me with it. But they stick their finger up the authorities' noses. Is that okay to say that here? Well, I've said it. All right, okay. Um, I'm not sure. What, what, what would be the Australian equivalent, Mick? All right, we're not allowed to say that in church. Okay, but you understand that these guys, when they were in the council, they just said, we're not going to listen to you. But whoa, these are the same men that put Jesus to death. I don't know about you, but I would be pretty uh, scared at that point to defy that council. You'd have to be pretty bold to actually just say, you know what, guys, I don't care what you say, what you think, but we're going to continue to speak about Jesus. And in their boldness, they kind of reached the pinnacle of all boldness because the same guys that killed Jesus, they just said, we're not going to listen to you. And they walk out of that because they get released from prison and they go to a prayer meeting. And in the prayer meeting, you would think that they were just, hey, you know, we, we, we've just defied in great boldness the same council that killed Jesus. But they don't. They go into this prayer meeting and they pray, oh God, would you give us greater boldness? You see, they had something and they believed that there was more than before. You see, sometimes we reach the the pinnacle of what we think is great, but God says there's more than before. And I want to say, Victory Church, you can see and you are signposts to the future, but there is more than before. And if we could just find the more than before, and I, I feel like God shared with me just a little principle that he's been doing with my own heart and life, and I'm still on this journey and in the process. I'd love to just share with you what God has shared with me. Is that okay? So let's turn in our Bibles, our Blackberries, our iPhones, or you can look up on the screen to Matthew chapter 14. And uh, this is a time when Jesus, and I think we know this miracle well, it's when he, he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And from verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd 
And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. You know, I, 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 I believe God is going to bring great crowds to gatherings such as this. You see, when, when, when there is this kind of thing is that, you know, we need to be Christians in our workplaces and, and it's not about bringing people to church. I want to say church is the body of Christ and when the body of Christ, which is Jesus, begins to touch the world, great crowds will come. Great crowds will come. I don't know, when I listen to Norm's story, what happens is I realize that the church touched his life. And the church is Jesus, it's Jesus' body here on earth, and they touched his life. And when people's lives are touched by Jesus, they change. And, and, and I believe that great crowds are going to come. I'm, I'm, I'm not one that says we seek a sensitive, but I'm one that says when the body of Christ become, begins to do what the body of Christ should do, great crowds will come to be touched. And right here, great crowds start coming. And why? Because they want to be touched by Jesus. And the key is this word compassion. He said he had great compassion on them. This word compassion uh, in the Greek means to have a bowel movement and not the one you're thinking of. (laughs) All right. It, It means to be so moved with emotion that it's so deep in here that you are moved. Hey, when there's grief, when there's tears, when, when okay, let me get this. When the, when the football, when you win the tip, whatever you're doing, when you, what do you call the tipping or the, huh? The footy tipping. When you win that, I've seen, I've seen uh, uh, Tony win the tipping uh, thing, and then, man, he has such emotion, all right? You know, he is moved deep in his bowels, okay? <laughs> All right. I, I, I want There's just. It's not just. <laughs> but there is a real deep emotion. Maybe you've lost a family member, someone you really loved, and deep within you, there's that ache and the pain. That's compassion. That's that's what the writer was referring to. And right through the Gospels, you'll see this word is used. And Jesus had great compassion on the people. And he healed all their sick. I believe that God is wanting to bring great compassion. He's, he's wanting to open the eyes of our hearts to a greater measure. He wants us to have greater vision. He wants to remove the calluses from our feelings and from our desires. And he wants to focus them with his lenses upon those that need to be touched the, the most. And it comes with this great compassion. And now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, come on, this is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away and go to the villages and buy food for themselves. So I don't know about you, but if you were the disciples, you were in the midst of a massive revival. People are being healed. They're being set free from demons. The lame are walking. The blind are seeing. This is amazing. I mean, they're standing there 12 and there's good 12,000 people out there at least with women and children and they, they've been all day with the cues, you know and Jesus is just going healed, 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 healed now I don't know how he did it but he wouldn't have done it probably that way I don't know but there was just revival breaking out everywhere the disciples had worked hard all day you would have thought that anything was possible in that but right into this moment comes an impossible thing Jesus, we, we just have not enough food and so Jesus says to them, 
he says, you feed them. Did he say that? But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said to them, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. And he blessed and said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is an amazing miracle that takes place here. But the key for me is when I was reading this, the Holy Spirit took me back to these five words. He looked up to heaven. I thought, why did Jesus look up to heaven? And I went and had a look at that word, look up. In the Greek, it means to regain sight, to receive your sight. I thought, well, Jesus, you didn't need to regain your natural sight. He wasn't blind. Why did Jesus need to regain sight? Because all around him, there was the great miracles happening, but the disciples came with unbelief, and there was this impossibility that was taking place. We need to feed them, but we can't. So Jesus looks up to regain sight from heaven. He says, Father, how do you see things? Let, let me just see what heaven sees. Let me, let me regain my sight. Because you see, all day, or there's times in our lives where we are so... Um, we're so put into the box of what we see with our eyes, the natural, that we begin to not see from the heart and see what God sees. And so this little key was look up. You know what I've found so often lately is just when I'm facing something that's impossible, when I'm looking at the little that I have and saying, God, this does not seem to work. We're in a building program. We don't have enough to finish. I'm saying, God, I'm looking up. I'm looking up. My wife's my hero. This week, anyway. See, a couple of days ago, she was out running. She's a marathon runner, done two marathons, 42 Ks. She's a machine. She runs. She puts me to shame. Yeah. <laughs> I, keep, I keep like I am without running. But she was out running on Tuesday morning and did 10 Ks and then decided to just do another one right next to near our house. And uh, we live in South Africa, as you would know, and it's a dangerous place. But we've never had a fear that anything would happen. But on Tuesday morning, as she was running back, two young men who, uh, they attacked her. They just jumped on her, rolled her into the ground. And she had a cell phone in her running belt, and they were trying to get this off. I believe they were trying to do something more. And anyway, she's my hero because she just gave them one good kick um, where the men would feel it most. And uh, they had a screwdriver. One guy had a screwdriver and stabbed her in her leg. And uh, she fought and screamed. And they ran off over across the road. And, and, and one thing led to another. Police, I mean, it was amazing how God just, there were security guards that came to the scene. There was a cop 
that was driving past. He stopped, picked her up. He summoned other cop cars. Eventually, there was 15 police vehicles. They scrambled two dog units and a helicopter. And, uh, and so we had the South African police force all focused and uh, she phoned me, and I, I mean, you know, I don't know if you know what it's like when you get a call like that. She said, I've been stabbed. First of all, I couldn't find, I mean, it, I was such in such shock. I didn't know where she was. I, I'd kind of, I'd forgotten that she'd gone for a run. Then I put two and two together, and I just ran. And, and two of our elders came running with me. We jumped in the car. They said I flew. I didn't think I went fast enough. And uh, I arrived there, and to find my wife that has been violated by two men, stabbed and bleeding, and and, and then you go through this emotion. And, and they, well, they tell me, they're in the grass over there. And so like, all right, I'm off. <laughs> and it's like, why aren't you? And then I see my wife. And then I have to run. And I'm standing there. And, and I'm, the, the brokenness. And, I'm, and I hear these words. Just look up, Greg. And so I'm looking up. I say, God, I, my emotions, what do I do? And then I'm back. I'm going to go find these guys, you know. I'm not a violent guy. And, and I've only hit one person in my whole life, including my school life. I've only hit one person. That was with a flat hand. That was it. But that day, I had emotions that I didn't know of. And I was, and then I just, I realized I just need to, to, to minister to my wife. And I put her in the car and we drove off. And I felt like such a, um, a sellout, because I, I wanted to go and protect. I think that's unnatural. But I just looked up, I said, God, w- would you catch those men? I can't, but would you do that? And Andy prayed, and as we went away, and I mean, I, yeah, you know, we're in the middle of a series called The F-Bomb, which is forgiveness. <laughs> I just preached last weekend that you need to forgive from the heart. And on Tuesday, I'm standing there thinking, I can't do this, God. I'm going to go. No, no, I've got to forgive. Craig, forgive them from the heart. I looked up. I said, God, I can't. I don't have it within me to forgive these men from the heart. Would you help me? And we took it to the hospital. And the guards phoned me to say they'd caught them. And I thought, wow. When I look and see what God did... To get them was an amazing thing. I looked up. And God looked down. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus, he goes to Bethsaida. It's a small fishing village. And he says in verse 22, some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. You see, this is the same thing, is that when the church begins to minister and see like Jesus sees, people will bring their friends, their family, so that the church, the body of Christ, may touch them. They'll beg us. And Jesus takes this blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. The reason that Jesus had to take the blind man out of the village was because you'll have to read it in Matthew chapter 11. So before this took place, Jesus actually condemns 
the cities of Bethsaida, Capernaum, and Chorazin. And the reason he did that, he said that because he says, woe to you, who cities. He says, if the miracles that had been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. In other words, these cities that were known from the Old Testament to be such terrible, unbelieving cities. He said, if the supernatural acts had been done there, they would have repented. But in these cities, he says, there was such unbelief there. They wanted the supernatural, but they did not repent and believe. And so he condemns them. He says, woe to them. And Jesus knew this. And so he had already said that in Bethsaida, there was such unbelief there. So he takes the man by the hand and he takes him out of the city. And when he had spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? You know, the most amazing thing here is that um, here's this blind man. I I don't know if you're blind, you you kind of tend to look down, don't you? Have you seen, you know what I'm talking about? The blind singer? Stevie, Stevie Wonder? He's always looking down, isn't it? When you're blind, you look down. Because, I mean, you can't see anything. And he has this blind man. And he's being led out of the city. He doesn't know what's coming. And now he's out of the city. He's hearing different sounds. Because for so many years, he had been in the city. And he had smelt the city. He had felt the city. He had heard the city. He had lived in the blindness of, his, of, of this surrounding. He knew the city, not by sight, but he knew it by sounds, by feel, by touch, by smell. And now Jesus has taken him out of the city. And then he hears Jesus go. (laughs) And he, I kind of think, what what are you going to do? At least he didn't see it coming. You see, Jesus spits on his blindness. In that day, if you got spat on, you became unholy, you were unclean for the, for the rest of the day. And if anything you touched, that also became unclean. And so this wasn't a good thing to do, but Jesus wasn't spitting on the man, he was spitting on his blindness. He was cursing the blindness. Because you see, the next action that he does is he puts his hand on him. Now that would mean that if, it's a crazy thing that your spit can make someone else unclean. But when you touch that person, then you would have become unclean. But Jesus, he spits on his blindness and then he touches the man. And I can just hear the crowd. (gasps) But you see, what they didn't realize was that when holy touches unholy, it becomes holy. When unholy touches holy, it doesn't make it holy. Unholy, unholy, it's unholy. But when holiness touches anything, it becomes holy. And here was holiness, and he touches the unholy, and the man can see. Well, let's read. And he says, Do you see anything? And he looked up, 
Same word. Same, same word as, as, as the story before with Jesus looked up. Same word. He looks up. In that moment, faith begins to rise in his heart. He begins to believe. He begins to see something. For so long, he had lived, lived in his blindness looking down. But as he looked up, something began to break. It's a kind of like norm story here. Isn't it? Is that for 15 months, but there was something of a touch of God and this community and with Jesus led him out of the city, led him out of the blindness. Sometimes it takes 15 months to get out the village. Doesn't matter how long it takes you. Friends, you may, you may be more than 15 months. Let me encourage you. Let Jesus take you out of the city of unbelief. And when he spits on your blindness and you may not see it coming, because then kindness comes in the form of meals. Wow, didn't know that. You see, kindness comes in many, many forms. And what happens is, is that the blindness starts to go. Sometimes it doesn't just go in an instant. Sometimes it takes some time. And you may be there, friend. You may, you, you may have kind of, you've been here this morning. You may have been here for a few weeks and months. And you, you're not a Christ follower, but you identify with, with Norm's story. Friends, I, I, I encourage you this morning is to let the spit of Jesus hit your heart this morning and start to let it see. Let belief start coming. Can I encourage you? Look up. Take that pillow away. Take, get, get it away. Why? Because I want God and his son here with me. I think in that moment, Norm looked up, didn't you? <laughs> and he began to see. And then it was just a little while, because then what happens is Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, and this is the clangor, don't even enter the village again. Wow. You see, the reality is, friends, when God takes you out of the village, don't go back. Don't go back. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was blind and in that city, what would you have wanted to do? I'd wanted to go. I mean, I'd smelt it. I'd felt it. I had I'd done everything there. I couldn't see it. Just, 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 what? let me just go back and have a look. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, you look like that. Oh, I didn't think that. And, uh, Oh, that was a sewer. I wonder why it smelled so bad. I don't know. You know, wouldn't you have wanted to go back just to see it? And Jesus says, don't ever go back into the small place. Don't ever go back into the village of unbelief. When Jesus is taking you out, don't go back. You know, I find so often, friends, is that my problem is, is that when I... Been taken out of the village where I've lacked faith and God has exploded belief in my heart and he's taken me out and, and I've begun to see and expect more. And then I kind of gradually just drift back. And God comes and says, look up. Oh God, will you lead me out of my unbelief? Would you lead me out of the place where I've become bowed down and looking down? I, I want to see you clearly. I want to see you clearly. We learn three things from this. Unbelief blinds us. Unbelief causes us to look down. 
But looking up helps us recover our heart's vision. I want to encourage you to look up this morning. Look up. It's a great picture of the gospel, isn't it? It's such a beautiful picture. It's that picture that that Norm told us about. It's this picture of mercy. Mercy is a person and his name is Jesus. He finds us on a broken road. Blind and caught in our unbelief in a village that is dark. But mercy finds us on that broken road and leads us out. He spits into our blindness and lays holiness upon us so that looking up, we can see what he sees. Friends, I don't know where you may be this morning. You may be you of caught in a financial problem. Can I ask you, would you look up? Maybe you're caught in a, in a marriage that is, is very difficult and relationally things are not working out. Let's look up. Say, Jesus, would you lead me out? Maybe you're at a place and you want to give up. You've had enough. Would you look up? Let's stand this morning. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.